And I would ask you to join me in John's Gospel. Most of you knew that. Chapter 18, we're going to begin reading in verse 28, a little bit of a longer passage. As we continue this daily, this weekly climb toward the cross. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 28. Then they, and that is the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, then they led Jesus from the house, or literally the place of Caiaphas, to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would, be, would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world, or literally it's not from here. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and have come into this world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now, Lord, own your word. Now, Lord, open our eyes, our ears. Don't let us drift. Don't let us miss this opportunity to hear from you through this, your own word to us. It is in Christ we pray. Amen. And so Jesus stands accused. Uh, from a human perspective, he's on trial for his life here. What takes place in the next couple of hours will determine not only whether he lives or dies, but how he will die. Now, when I say will determine, I don't mean that it's up for grabs. Uh, heaven has already determined the where, the when, and above all the why of Jesus' death. He is the Lamb of God crucified for our sins. But now we're going to see how all of that works out under the unjust rule of men. There are forces at play here that God in His providential wisdom works together in a way that man's weakness and sin is harnessed to accomplish God's good and saving purposes. And so I want us to look into that this morning. And so again, we begin with this fact that Jesus stands condemned as a criminal in verse 28. 
Remember where we are in this overall story. Jesus was betrayed by one of his own men, Judas. He was arrested in the night and rushed into the private residence of the former high priest Annas for for interrogation. That's verses 19 to 23. But that got them nowhere, we saw last week. And so, determined to see him die, they sent him on to Caiaphas, the official high priest, to hold him until daybreak for the official trial before the whole Sanhedrin. That would be the Jewish Supreme Council. And how did that end? Do you remember? Mark chapter 14, verse 61 to 64 tells us that provoked by Jesus' silence, the high priest asks him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Death. Why? Well, because he was a blasphemer, they said. He, a mere man, has claimed to be God. And under Jewish law, that was a capital crime. Jesus must die. But here's the problem. The Jewish nation, uh, by then, had lost the right to execute anyone. Remember, the Jews are a conquered people at this point. Rome swept through this region in 63 B.C., putting everything and everyone under their iron heel. As a conquered nation, uh, they were given some freedom to uh, follow their own laws as long as they didn't you know, irritate the Romans too much, but they were forbidden to execute anyone without Rome's approval. Now, that wasn't because Rome didn't want to see people executed. It's because Rome wanted to do the executing. But that's what's brought them to the door of Governor Pilate this morning. And we're going to see that they deeply resent that. So verse 28 says that they went, then they led Jesus from the house or the place of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover and they could participate in the feast. Governor's headquarters... That's how the ESV translates this word praetorium. And uh, praetorium means the official residence and offices of the Roman governor, wherever he might happen to be at the time. And usually he would have been up in Caesarea by the sea, a Roman fortress. But for the feast, uh, he would come down to Jerusalem like this. He would take over one of Herod's palaces there in Jerusalem, which, by the way, Herod also resented. But that's where they must come to him. We're told it's early morning. The uh, Roman governors would often do their business as early as possible to get it out of the way and leave them free for the rest of the day to do whatever else they needed to do. And so the Jews come to him. But notice they will not go in to him. They will not enter his residence. Why not? It says so that they will not be defiled. A Jewish law, especially under the Pharisees, was zealous to maintain a sense of ceremonial purity. And that was especially true during a feast time like that surrounding Passover. And the idea was any contact with pagan or ritually unclean people would disqualify you from being able to participate. The Mishnah, that's the the body of Jewish traditional law, 
says it this way, the dwelling place of Gentiles are unclean. And one of the reasons, believe it or not, it gives is because Gentiles practice abortion, which the Jews would not have, and they throw their abortions down the drains. That's a direct quote from the Mishnah. In other words, they're committing these heinous crimes in their homes, and so the whole place is defiled. We cannot enter them. And so for a Jew to enter a place like that would defile them, the law said, for seven full days. They would miss the feast and that would bring great shame upon them. There's no way they're going to let that happen. And so they make Pilate come outside to them. Well, for religious reasons, sure. But make no mistake, it's also a power play. These Jews hate Pilate. Oh, and frankly, Pilate hates them. And they've, they've been in this struggle ever since Pilate came in 26 AD. They've been, they've been locked in this political battle, each trying to outdo the other. And that's really going to play into this story. But notice the irony here. These men are so concerned not to defile themselves so they can be able to eat the Passover feast, which wasn't just the Passover meal, there was an entire week of festivities. They're so concerned not to be defiled so they can't eat the Passover feast at the very time they're plotting to kill the one who is the one the Passover is all about. The Lamb of God. You know, that's what legalism will do to you. It blinds you to the truth sitting right in front of you and makes you do really stupid things in an effort to justify yourself. And so Pilate must come out to them. Verse 29. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Now that's awful snarky. It's very disrespectful. Why do they answer him that way? Well, clearly, they're hoping Pilate will just rubber stamp their decision to execute Jesus. Just take their word for it. Pilate's not having it. Pilate positions himself here as the judge who holds authority. He is not going to take their word for it. He's going to investigate the case for himself. He might even overrule their decision. That's implied here, and that infuriates them. Hence the snarky answer, if he wasn't an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him. Well, two can play at that game. Pilate fires right back. All right. Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. You don't want my judgment? Fine. Go take care of it yourself. I don't care. Which forces them to admit that they do need him. It is not lawful, they say back, for us to put anyone to death. And we watch these two. I mean, again, you can just feel the resentment in them. We we watch these two jabbing at each other like boxers in a ring. But round one goes to Pilate. They have no choice but to come to Him to get what they want, the death of Jesus, and it galls them. But it's here that John inserts this little statement in verse 32. This, and he means this whole thing, was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death He was going to die. All this political intrigue, all this messed up situation of political players where these wicked men are each trying to outdo the other. And yet in the end, John says, they accomplish nothing more than fulfilling the very words of Jesus. Who's in charge here? 
Back in John 12, Jesus had publicly proclaimed this very thing. John 12, verse 31, He says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, and He's talking there of the crucifixion, I will draw all people to Myself. And then John adds, He said this to show by what kind of death He was going to die. The Jews killed by stoning. If this had been purely a a Jewish court, Christ would have died by stoning. It was the Romans who crucified people, lifted up, points to that crucifixion. That's how they used the word. And so this whole nest of political situation is going to accomplish nothing but the saving purposes of God. Isn't that good to know? Isn't it good to know that no matter how messed up things get with politics and culture and everything else, Christ's Word still prevails. Neither Jerusalem, nor Rome, nor Washington for that matter will ever get to have the last word, only Christ. Because second, Jesus stands accused as a criminal But second of all, Jesus stands revealed as heaven's true king. Verse 33, Pilate then retreats back into the praetorium and summons Jesus to be brought to him so he can question Jesus without them, right? They're not coming in there. And he asks him a question. Are you the king of the Jews? All four Gospels record that question. Apparently, this is what the Jewish leaders ultimately came up with is the accusation to pin on Jesus. In fact, Luke says that very clearly. Luke 23.2, they begin to accuse Him saying, we found this man misleading our nation, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. That's a lie. And saying that He Himself is Christ, a King. So notice what's happening here. In front of the Sanhedrin, when they come up with an accusation of why He deserves death, what is the accusation they come up with? Blasphemy. But here when they get in front of Pilate, it changes. What is it now? Oh, insurrection, right? Rebellion. He claims to be a king and rival to Caesar. Why did they change it? Well, what if they had said to Pilate, He's a blasphemer! Pilate would have said, So what? And let loose with a bunch of blasphemy himself. I mean, what does he care about some Jewish blasphemy law? But insurrection, that must be investigated. Listen, in a world of lies, do not be surprised when your enemy lies. It's how they play the game. So Pilate takes him aside and asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that what you're claiming? Verse 34, And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Now that's bold. Jesus clearly is not intimidated by Pilate here. Once again, if you just notice what's happening, we watch as Jesus, the interrogated prisoner, flips the tables on his interrogators and begins to question them. Is that your own idea about me, Pilate? Or did others plant that thought in your head? Now, Pilate is caught off guard by that. He instantly scoffs in verse 35. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? I'm no Jew, preacher. 
I don't care about any of this stuff. It's your own people who turns you over to me. They're the ones who want you dead. What have you done? What is your crime for crying out loud? How did you get yourself into this mess? He's perplexed. I mean, one look at Jesus and he realizes pretty quickly this guy is no political revolutionary. What is really going on here? But it's the answer that Jesus gives next that really perplexes him. Verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom. Yes, I have a kingdom. In fact, it's it's emphatic. A, A good translation would be, the kingdom that belongs to me is not of this world. So yes, Pilate, I am a king. Yes, I do have a kingdom. But it's not one from this world. In fact, what he says at the end of that sentence is, it's not from here. If it were from here, an earthly kingdom like you're thinking, my servants would be out there fighting for me. But it's not from here. In fact, if you've read the report yet, Pilate, I stopped them from fighting when one of them even tried. No, I am not here as a political rival to Caesar. I don't have an army, but I do have a kingdom. And for Pilate, mind blown. I mean, how could he even follow that? I have a kingdom... But it's not that kind of kingdom. Not like you're thinking, I don't live and die by politics like you do. Augustine made an interesting point here. He says, notice, Jesus does not say, my kingdom is not in this world. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not a part of this world's failed system of politics and power plays and maneuvering. Now that's very important to see here. First of all, it's important because we need to understand Christ's kingdom is present and active in this world. Church, He reigns. There is a kingdom and He is its king. He rules over all things and is active and at work in this world. And one day He will claim every throne. But His power and authority are not of this world. He is not dependent upon this world or its players for anything. He doesn't play their games. He's not about the power maneuvering with all the princes and policies and political uh, activism. He reigns over all things as sovereign Lord and His reign is above these kingdoms, not a part of them. He is not beholden to them. Neither Rome nor Jerusalem can can subvert His rule because in the end, they are not His equals. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Pilate hears Him. Verse 37, he says, So you are a king then. But look at Jesus' response in verse 37. Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus answers, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You said it, Pilate. I'm a king. Those are your words. But I don't think you understand what they mean. As Inigo Montoya said, You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. So what does Jesus mean? Well, again, He tells Pilate in verse 37, for this purpose, 
yes, to reign, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into this world. And what does that look like? To bear witness to the truth so that everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. A king, yes. You're on the right path here. But your understanding of king is just too small. I'm not just another little ruler out there over a tiny little earthbound kingdom trying to hold on to a piece of ground. No, I was born and I have come into this world for this purpose. Born and come into this world. That is incarnational language. It's the kind of incarnational language both John the Gospel writer and Jesus Himself have been using throughout this Gospel of John. I did not come from here. My life did not begin here on this tiny planet. I came to here from my Father in heaven. And why have I come? To accomplish His purpose, which is to bear witness to the truth. Now notice that. First, Christ, the incarnate Son, came into this world to bear witness to the truth. As John 1.14 said at the beginning of this Gospel, the Word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of truth. Truth about what? Truth about God. Truth about reality. Truth about my sin and my need for salvation. He came to awaken us, to shine this light of His truth into our darkness that we might finally see. And notice also, He doesn't just tell us something that is true. He's not a conveyor of something true apart from Himself. He Himself is that truth. John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through Me. In other words, make sure you understand this. Jesus does not point us to truth. Jesus Himself is the truth we must have. He shows us who God is by showing us Himself. He reveals the truth of our sin by bearing its punishment in our place. He doesn't just give us something called salvation. He Himself is our salvation as we come to Him. He Himself is the truth we must embrace. When we take hold of Him, listen, when we take hold of Jesus, we are taking hold of reality. Before that, we're not seeing reality. We're not seeing the world. To live in a God-made world as if God did not exist is insanity and suicidal. Christ clarifies our sight, makes us see the truth of who He is, who God is, and what our need is. When we take hold of Christ, we are taking hold of reality. That's why Jesus says next, it's those who listen to My voice who are of the truth. That is, born of the truth, remade by this truth. How do you become of the truth? How does this truth flood your life and become yours and begin to transform who you are? By hearing the voice of Jesus calling you to Himself. John 1, 11 and 12, He came to His own and His own people didn't receive Him. That's what we're watching here in John 18 and 19. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Amen. You enter the life of of the truth by hearing and trusting Christ. I mean, that's what He gives. 
This is the truth the king brings to those who forsake all else to trust in him. And dear, when that begins, the moment you hear his voice calling you to faith, calling you out of the lies that you believed, that the lies this world keeps telling you that it's all about you, that you're in charge, that, that you get to build your own kingdom according to your own preferences and by your own efforts. No, there is one king and it's not you. And this king is calling you out of your darkness and blindness into his marvelous light where you see. He is calling you to embrace him as the one who is the truth that your soul needs. John 10, 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's the invitation Jesus gives. Forsake the lies you believe and come to me. I am the truth. And notice, he's giving that invitation to you now, by the way. You've never come to him. But notice, Jesus is also giving that invitation to Pilate here. Do you see that? He says to Pilate, everyone who is of the truth that is, everyone who has come to the truth and is now living the truth, they got there by listening to me. Are you listening, Pilate? Are you willing to hear my voice, Pilate? What an invitation. But Pilate tosses it aside as carelessly as you would toss aside a bag of garbage. What is truth? He scoffs. What is truth? Those are tragic words. Can you feel the tragedy of them? Like so many today, Pilate has given up on the idea of actually finding real truth out there. Is there really any truth? He says, is there, is there anything outside of me that is solid and stable and secure that I can depend on? Have you ever asked that question? If the answer to that question is no, then this is a dismal world. This is a hopeless world. A a world without truth is a world without hope. And so many of the people around you, that's where they're living right now. That's why. I mean, no wonder people numb themselves with drugs and drink and meaningless sex and pointless entertainment and empty pursuits. It's all they got. And if they stop too long to think about what the world is and what they are, they'll blow their brains out. So they numb themselves. What is truth? That's a cry of desperation. Without truth... It is an empty world. But it's the wrong question. Pilate asked the wrong question. Instead of asking what is truth, he ought to have been asking who is the truth. Because the one who is truth is standing right there in front of him, inviting him to come to him. It is in him that the truth Pilate's empty heart longs for can be found. In the early days of the Christian church, Latin-speaking Christians noticed something very interesting. You've got to speak Latin to get this, and I don't speak Latin, but I can show it to you. The question Pilate asked, what is truth in Latin, is quid est veritas. 
But if you rearrange those letters, ever play that game where you rearrange the letters of a sentence to say something else? If you rearrange quid est veritas, you get the answer to the question, via est qui odest, the man who stands before you is. What is truth? The man who stands before you is. But Pilate throws up his hands, turns his back and walks away. Oh, listen, I plead with you this morning, whoever you are, don't do that. Don't do that. Hear the voice of Jesus. Look into His eyes, so to speak. Realize who He is and put your trust in Him. Because, the third thing this morning, Jesus stands accused, yes, but here we see Jesus stands acquitted of any crime. Yet He is rejected by those who refuse to believe. Verse 38, after Pilate says, What is truth? It says he, he went outside, back to where the Jews were, and He said to them, I find no guilt in Him. Now that's important for us to hear. In fact, John wants to make sure you hear it. He'll say it here, and next week he'll say it two more. He'll have Pilate say it two more. I mean, that's what Pilate did, but John records that to us so that we are hearing Pilate's declaration. Because even though Pilate himself despaired of finding truth by the grace of God, he is unable to speak the truth. There is no guilt in Jesus. No sin to be found. No shadow of turning. As 1 John 3, 5 says, in Him there is no sin. That's why He's a perfect Savior. And so Pilate makes this legal pronouncement, not guilty. That should have ended the whole thing right there. Right? He's the governor. He, he's looked into the matter. He knows they don't have a case against Jesus. He should just let Jesus go. Right? That'd be the right thing to do. Send these men home. Tell them, I'm sorry, but you're all a bunch of liars. And set Jesus free. So why doesn't He? He could. Why doesn't He? I mean, if Pilate had an ounce of character, it's exactly what he would do. But history tells us Pilate was not a man of character. He was, as we would say today, a sleazy politician. He cared much more about keeping his own position of power than he ever did for standing for anything true. And Pilate's political maneuverings up to this point had gotten him into all kinds of trouble back home with Caesar. His ruthlessness and mishandling of several situations, I won't take you through them, but of several situations with the Jews had upset some pretty powerful people among the Jews and they'd managed to go over his head calling in some favors with friends to complain directly to Caesar that Pilate was making such a mess of things down here that rebellion was imminent. If there's anything Caesar cared about, it was keeping people from rebellion. And so Caesar had written to Pilate an ultimatum, one more complaint and you're done. Hey, when Caesar says you're done, he doesn't mean I'm going to pack the things in your desk and send you outside. So Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. He just doesn't have the guts to do anything about it. He doesn't have the guts to set him free, but... But being the politician he is, he comes up with what he thinks is a compromise. There was a custom 
where the governor, if he wanted to, could release one prisoner condemned to death to the Jews as a favor at Passover, an act of clemency, an act of mercy by Rome meant to curry their favor. And so he thought, at least it seems to me, he must be thinking, I'll condemn Jesus and they'll get what they want. But then I'll offer him to the crowds and the crowds will go for it because he's a popular preacher and the crowds will love it. By this time crowds are forming, the day is starting to wear on, people are coming together and he assumes they're going to pick the popular preacher over anybody else and it will be a win-win. These men will get to see Jesus condemned, yet Pilate will get to set him free. I mean, it's beautiful. And so in verse 39 he makes the offer. You have a custom that I should release one man to you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? The other Gospels tell us he gave them a choice between him and another. And they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. And Barabbas was a robber. Not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas, it's not even his real name. Bar Abbas is a nickname. It just means son of a father. It's about as plain vanilla a nickname as you can get. Son of a father. Uh, Matthew 27 says Pilate offered this man as an alternative to Jesus because he doubted anybody would ever choose him. I mean, this guy, he's a really bad man. It says he was a robber. Not the kind who sneaks into your house at night and takes a few things. The word means a bandit, a highwayman, the kind that assaults you on the road and steals you blind and beats you and leaves you half dead. Mark, in fact, says that in the committing of his crimes, he actually had committed murder. He was guilty of rebellion and insurrection. He was a really bad man. And so Pilate basically says to them, Do you want Jesus, who's no danger to anyone, or Barabbas, Who's a danger to everyone? And whipped into a frenzy by the chief priests, the crowd begins to scream for Barabbas. Barabbas! Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! And Mark 15 says, he then says, well then what shall I do with your king? And the people begin to cry out, crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! And Barabbas the notorious criminal, a wicked man, goes free as Jesus is sent to die in His place. And I want you to know something this morning. I am Barabbas. I am Barabbas. I am a son of a father. I'm a son of Adam, a a sinner, a man who by his actions and attitudes deserves death. But Christ, the Son of the Father, took my place. He bore my penalty and died my death that I might go free. Church, this is the Gospel. This is why Christ came. This is why I love Him. And though all the world reject Him and blaspheme Him and call Him whatever they want to call Him, I never will. Because this is my Savior. Is He yours? Are you, Barabbas, condemned and worthy of death and yet Christ willingly takes your place 
bears your cross, dies instead of you, that you indeed may go free. Oh Lord Jesus, would you open our eyes to this reality? All these things happen, and we read the story, and it just sounds terrible, and it is terrible because it's an unjust and sinful world. And Lord, if we were honest, we would know that we would be on the wrong side in that whole thing had we been allowed to be there. We would have been the criminal condemned. Christ has come and taken our place to give us life. Christ has come to destroy the lies that we might know truth. Christ has come to die that we might have life. So Lord, would You even now open hearts to believe? Would You, would you give hope to some Barabbases out there who think my crimes are too much and that I'm, I'm, I'm a cast off? And would You let them see that Christ was cast off so that Barabbas wasn't? And would you let them do what? We don't know if Barabbas ever came to Christ. There's nothing to tell us that he did. But we know that we may come to Christ and have our sins forgiven and new life restored as we join Jesus. Would you call people to yourself for Christ's name and in His sake we pray. Amen.